This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Hey there, welcome to the Northeast Agronomy Podcast. This is August 28th, 2020. I am your host, Chris Skuse, with our co-host, Emily Allegar. You may be wondering where Kelly and Cheyenne are. Kelly has been promoted to the digital lead for the Northeast, the Southeast, and Michigan and Ohio areas. We are excited for and Cheyenne, who is our summer intern, has now gone back to Cornell University to finish her degree. We're excited for both of them and hope to see both of them in the field soon. A little bit about me. I'm Chris Skuse. I'm a territory manager for Pioneer Seed. I cover Delaware, part of Maryland, and two counties of Virginia. I grew up on a family farm in Delaware where we have corn, wheat, and soybeans. I then joined the military where I was a low master on C-130s, traveled to 23 different countries, did over 100 combat missions, then came back to our family farm where, we, um, where I farmed for about five years and then transitioned to Pioneer where I've been for the last seven. Emily, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Chris. Hi, everyone. Like Chris said, I'm Emily Allegar. I'm the new Associate Territory Manager here in Western New York in our Crop Protection Division with Corteva. I'm from Pennsylvania, and I just graduated from Penn State University last May with a degree in Agricultural Science, and I'm really excited to be here with you all today. Great. Our main topic for today will be plenish hyolaic soybeans. Emily, can you introduce our plenish experts that we'll be speaking with today? Sure. Today, our guests are Reed Rice, Ryan Permelia, and Susan Knowlton. So we'll start with Reed. Reed is a research scientist with Corteva AgriScience. Reed, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Good morning, everyone. Reed Rice, research scientist or soybean breeder based in Napoleon, Ohio, where I manage a soybean breeding program one of 15 in North America for Corteva AgriScience and Pioneer Seeds. I grew up in a small family farm here in Ohio, uh, always had a passion for agriculture, attended The Ohio State University, and then went on and conducted graduate studies at the University of Wisconsin, and was fortunate enough to return back to my home state, uh, where I manage a breeding program that focuses on development of both commodity and plenish soybeans. Great to be with you here today. Thank you, Reed. So we'll move on with Ryan. Ryan is a pioneer field agronomist in Eastern Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Maryland, and Delaware. Ryan, do you wanna tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, good morning, everybody. Uh, Ryan here, uh, graduated from Virginia Tech in 2014 with a, a bachelor's degree in crop and soil science. So go Hokies, Reed, sorry about that football game when we came in the horseshoe, um, but then uh, came back to Delaware, took a job with a local co-op, and then was an associate seller, seller of Pioneer products, and now have um, been in the field agronomist role for a little over two years here covering some mid-Atlantic states. So glad, glad to be here. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, moving on with Susan Knowlton, who is a senior research manager with Corteva AgriScience. Uh, Susan, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background as well? Sure, I'd love to. Um, and thanks for having me on to your um, program here. I'm thrilled to be on because I've worked on Plenish for over 25 years now. 
I'm on the oil side. I'm not on the breeding side. I'm an expert in the oil space and um, been with the company for over 30 years, actually here on the East Coast based in Wilmington, Delaware. Thank you, Susan. Wow, that's a lot of experience about Plenish. So I'm excited about today. But before we get to our main topic of Plenish High Lake soybeans, we have our odd and unexplained. This is where we discuss something unusual with our local agronomists that they've seen this growing season. Ryan, what do you have for us? Yeah, so we're working here um, the last week of August. Um, and mainly this week, I spent a lot of time in corn. We, we pushed past through dent. Um, and honestly, coming up soon, we're going to see some combines rolling. We've already started in silage harvest um, in, in Pennsylvania. So guys are rolling through that. So this week I was walking um, in a cornfield and I kind of started around the edge as, as most, uh, you know, agronomists do, and then you kind of work your way in. And I noticed that about every 60 feet on the edge of the cornfield for about the first two to three rows, um, the plants were maybe six to eight inches taller. The ears, you know, were, were obviously bigger. Um, and even I could find plants that had two, maybe three ears per plant. Um, so I kind of tried to run through my head and, and notice maybe if there was a pattern. So that's kind of when I noticed every 60 feet, I would find these odd um, and just kind of unnatural looking corn plants. And I guess a little bit of a backstory here um, is that, you know, we have a smaller field size here in the Mid-Atlantic than some areas of the country. Um, and our growers have also done a really good job of diversifying their operations. So some guys are um, into dairy. We have a lot of produce. Um, and we also have a, a huge poultry industry here. So um, I'm running through my head of what could it possibly be. So kind of just going down um, and crossing off the list. Is it something to do with fertilizer overlap? Is it something that we could um, trace back to a planter issue or a starter fertilizer issue? And I went through my head for about 15, 20 minutes trying to figure out what it was. And as I turned around, I noticed that the field had been planted relatively close to a chicken house. So I'm looking at the chicken house, I'm looking at the corn, and I'm looking at the chicken house. Um, and I noticed that where I see the large um, corn plants, there's an exhaust fan from the chicken house. So like a light bulb, it went off in my head. Um, and I called the grower and asked him, you know, how often had he had flocks coming in and out? How often had he been running his fan? And what him and I were able to come up with that basically every time he ran his exhaust fans this summer, what he was doing was actually spoon feeding ammonium from the chicken manure from the basically the bedding in the houses to those corn plants that were you know exposed to the the air coming out of the chicken house to cool the chicken so something i'd never seen before um and something that if you know if you don't have cornfields planted you know right up to the the edge of a, of a chicken house you probably never see in your life i don't think that everybody needs to go out and uh, install exhaust fans from their broiler houses to their cornfields, um, but it was definitely odd. Uh, well, luckily for us, we were able to kind of explain it. So just uh, a neat thing that I was able to find this week. Yeah, that is pretty neat. You're gonna have chicken growers uh, planting cornfields all the way right up to the sides of the chicken houses if they hear that. Yeah, I know, I'm not looking forward to scouting them. <laughs> all right, great, thanks, Ryan. Now we'll move on to our main topic of the Plenish High Lake soybeans. Susan, what exactly are Plenish High Lake soybeans? 
Great question. Um, so plenish high oleic soybeans are actually, like the name says, they're high in oleic acid. And that probably doesn't mean much to your audience here. So let's break it down a little into something more manageable. Think of it as just a really stable oil that holds up in conditions where normal soybean oil is, uh, might break down. Things like in frying applications or um, as food products sit on the shelf. So years ago, we changed the composition of traditional soybeans to increase that oleic acid. But what we really did was decrease the uh, fatty acids in the oil that are unstable and, do, and degrade um, when they're in use. And so that's resulted, that change in composition has resulted in a really, really stable oil, far more stable than some of the other hyaluric oils that are out in the market as well. Hyaluric canola and hyaluric sun are two other hyaluric oils that um, are competing in the marketplace. But hyaluric soy, because of the composition of, that we created, is really more stable than those other oils. That's great. That's really good for our, our soybean farmers across the country. So have you seen an uptick in the uh, end users demand for this oil? Yeah, so it's been crazy this year because demand has demand for the oil that is has really increased among the various food companies that are out there. Um, and when I say that, I mean some of the really big, large multinational companies that are now trying to switch over in the plenish hyalate oil. So it's really important that we get the acreage out there next year um, in order to feed that demand because food companies who have been using other oils are now trying to make that switch. And you may wonder, you know, what took so long, right? I mean, we've had it out a few years now and why, why this year is it all of a sudden sort of exploding like we're seeing? And in part, it's, for, it's kind of the nature of the food um, industry. Sometimes food companies will have, uh, say, multi-year contracts that they can't get out of, so they can't switch out quite so easily. They might have multi-year testing protocols that they rigorously go through to test an oil when they're trying to make an ingredient switch like that. They may have labeling issues. You know, labeling, when you change a label on a food product, it's quite expensive to do, so they may want to accumulate a number of um, changes to the label before they make those, um, you know, spend the money to make those new labels. So for a variety of reasons, um, it's all sort of come together this year with this big uptick that we're uh, seeing this year. That's great news. It is. And you bring up a good point. I, I haven't even thought about, you know, how long it takes a company to switch from the oil that they have now to, uh, to what they want to use for the future. And just like you said, changing the labels out, testing to make sure it's not going to change their, their flavor in a negative way, you know, testing the shelf life of their product, all those things. Um, those are all really great points. But the good news is, and the exciting part is that now those companies are starting to switch over to Plenish. And I really think that's going to help out our farmers across the country for demand for their soybeans. So that's exciting stuff. Thanks, Susan. Yeah, absolutely. Fully agree. Reed, how long have you been breeding the Plenish Hyalaic soybeans? So the first Plenish Hyalaic soybean variety went to uh, commercial market in 2012. And uh, I was hired on in, in 2013. So seven years now. 
was hired on with uh, the specifics of that role in mind. And I guess to me, uh, coming out of graduate school, what was appealing was the fact that, number one, I'd be in a com competitive breeding program, developing elite varieties. Uh, but number two, I just like the aspect of Plenish, that it provided a healthier oil profile for the consumer. So it adds value to the grower's acres, uh, but it's also a, um, an event that allows for a better, healthier product overall with zero grams trans fat. So that was pretty appealing to me. Yeah, that's really cool. When you've been out in your experience out there breeding them and walking the fields, are there any agronomic differences between plenish and commodity soybeans? Sure. So when we think about um, plenish versus commodity soybeans, we evaluate these carefully over a period of five or even six or seven years to ensure that there are no agronomic differences between the varieties. So when we think about a plenish variety, uh, the qualities that Susan mentioned, that preferred oil profile, a more stable oil, that's really the only difference that, that we expect to see between a given commodity variety and a plenish variety. So our yield potential, our agronomics, our defensive traits, those are going to be the same characteristics of any pioneer commodity variety, uh, whether that's a Roundup rate to extend, whether that's an Enlist E3. The only other difference would be the herbicide piece there. But otherwise, from a performance standpoint, Plenish would perform exactly as you'd expect from a commodity soybean variety. Great. When you're out there in a field looking across the field, would you be able to tell the difference between the, the different soybeans, the commodity, and, and in that, you know, do you, is there, uh, have you seen a year, yield correlation with it at all? Yeah, so if I'm walking a field, uh, I would not be able to tell the difference between a plenish variety and, and a commodity variety. The only way to tell that difference uh, would be to bring that into a lab uh, to take that fully mature seed and to evaluate the compositional value of that seed for the, uh, the oleic and linolenic values of it. So uh, again, a plenish variety should be no different than a commodity variety other than that specific trait for the high oleic. So um, no, walking a field, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see that. As we develop these varieties, uh, just like any breeding program, our goal is to take the most elite of the elite. So I like to equate it to horse racing sometimes. If we think about a Kentucky Derby, Preakness, or Belmont champion, a lot of times those come from a very strong pedigree, and it's really no different with soybeans. Uh, so at Pioneer, as breeders, we strive to create the most elite genetics possible for yield, agronomics, and defensive traits and then we have a mechanism called trait ingression where we can move in that plenish trait or move in an enlist E3 gene or Roundup Ready to Extend, Liberty Link, whatever that preferred trait background is, we can move that into our most elite genetics. So that's exactly what we do. Great. What is the maturity range that you have for the plenish soybeans on the market today? Today we have 14 plenish products that are commercially available, and those range from a relative maturity of a 2.0 uh, clear to a 4.8. So a pretty broad range across maturity groups, two, three, and four, uh, to meet our markets where plenish has grown. Yeah, that's pretty exciting stuff. That covers most of the country there in the big markets that grow plenish so or grow commodity soybeans. So that's pretty neat. Thanks, Reed. Ryan. Uh, what have you been seeing out in the field over the past few years with Plenish soybeans? Yeah, so I think, you know, I, I would probably be the, the third person to say it, but um, sales reps and customers and myself and, and 
territory managers would probably say the punish lineup is the strongest that it's been since it was, was rolled out right now. Um, lucky, luckily for me, um, Reed, I get to cover about the, the two, five punish variety all the way to the four, eight. So I get to see um, pretty much everything that you guys are pumping out of the breeding program there. Um, and, and I would echo what Reed says, the lineup that we have right now, there's really no agronomic flaws that we see in them. The, the biggest, some of the diseases we see here, are like frog eye leaf spot, um, brown stem rot and phytophthora and the varieties that we have, um, are, are really, really, really outstanding in that kind of situation. Um, and the other thing that we run into here is we have a, basically a bunch of different planting times for soybeans. We have guys planting, um, early April, and then we have some guys that are double cropping behind wheat and barley that may not plant soybeans, um, you know, until the middle of July. And we've really found um, plenish varieties that will fit in every kind of planting situation, whether it's early April in 30 inch rows at lower populations, or whether it's, you know, July 15th in seven and a half inch drilled rows, um, you know, at 180,000. So that it's, it's really provided us some flexibility on where we can position products here. Yeah, that's great. Um, what, when a grower, if a grower is interested in growing plenish soybeans, do they have to vacuum out their planter when they're switching from commodity beans to plenish or do, do they have to blow out their combine or how does that work? Yeah, so plenish is a lot different than, you know, some of the organic market that we have or anything like that. Really what we ask growers to do is just be diligent um, if they are growing commodity and plenish beans in their operation. Um, you know, if you're switching from plenish to commodity or vice versa, just make sure that your combine is empty and same with the planter. Um, but as far as cleaning or vacuuming or anything like that, um, we're, we're not in a closed loop system with this. So we just ask that you kind of be diligent, use your brain and, and make sure that, you know, what you're harvesting and that your uh, equipment's clean. Yeah, that's great. So, I know that this is kind of almost like a specialty crop where it's a little bit different there. And each part of the, the country is different on um, who, they, who they bring these plenish soybeans to. But in your area, I believe you have Purdue agribusinesses who the growers need to take their plenish soybeans to. What was the premium this year um, in your area with Purdue? Yeah, so growers who are growing plenish for this year, so 2020, so basically getting ready to harvest in the next two or three months, they're receiving a 50 cent harvest delivery. Um, and then they're receiving a 60 cent buyer's call, basically a JFM contract. So um, one thing that I don't think that's talked about enough with that is plenish soybeans are able to be marketed just as, you know, similar to a commodity bean. So basically you're able to forward contract your plenish acres and then also receive the premium on your forward contracting price. So I think that's one thing that growers in this area have really taken advantage of, especially with the way that bean prices have been um, in the past, you know, eight to 10 months. Well, that's a really good point. So you can sell them the same way you're used to selling them. You can grow them the same way you're used to growing beans um, and you're going to be able to get a premium on top. So that's, that's pretty neat. Thanks, Ryan. Um, we'll move on to our last segment for the day, which is the weekly watch outs. Um, Ryan, what do you have that we need to look forward to over the next seven to 14 days? Yeah, so my big um, kind of scouting mission and talking points with growers and, and sales reps here is going to be insects within the next um, seven to 10 days. So in corn, um, if we've had Japanese beetles or any kind of insects that are going to um, mess with ear development, 
we're going to start to see that now on late planted corn. I've seen a lot of corn earworm come in. So we have some guys or some grow some growers that were not able to plant corn until maybe mid-May or June. And what we had was a, a big moth migration. So those moths laid their eggs in the in the green silks and we're starting to see some corn earworm. And then in soybeans, we're starting to see a lot of defoliators, whether it's grasshoppers, um, stink bugs or anything like that. So I'm really, really going to keep my eye on insects in the next couple of weeks. On corn, it's going to have an impact on grain quality because most of our corn is is made and we're at, you know at least at dent somewhere close to that stage and in soybeans you know any kind of defoliator that comes in now is really gonna um you know limit our our seed development inside the pod so that's what i'm looking at great thanks thanks ryan good things to watch out for when we're walking our fields so to wrap it up Thank you all for joining us today for the Pioneer Northeast Agronomy podcast. If you're interested in learning more about growing Plenish soybeans, you can contact your local Pioneer seed rep or go to plenish.com. Be sure to tune in next week for a new topic with our guest speaker, David Owens, an entomology specialist with the University of Delaware Extension to discuss bugs in row crops. Um, to listen to our full Library of Pioneer Agronomy podcasts, you can search Pioneer Agronomy Northeast on your podcast app. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.